Section 17 of The Rhythm of Life and Other Essays by Alice Maynell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Lesson of Landscape The landscape, like our literature, is apt to grow and to give itself form under two luxurious ideals. This is the evil work of that little more which makes its insensible but persistent additions to styles, to the arts, to the ornaments of life, to nature, when unluckily man becomes too explicitly conscious of her beauty, and too deliberate in his arrangement of it. The landscape has need of moderation, of that fast disappearing grace of unconsciousness, and, in short, of a return towards the ascetic temper. The English way of landowning, above all, has made for luxury. Naturally, the country is fat, the trees are thick and round, a world of leaves, the hills are round, the forms are all blunt, and the grass is so deep as to have almost the effect of snow in smoothing off all points and curving away all abruptness. England is almost as blunt as a machine-made molding or a piece of early Victorian cast-iron work. And on all this we have, of set purpose, improved by our invention of the country park. There is all curves and masses. A little more is added to the greenness and the softness of the forest glade, and for increase of ornament the fat land is devoted to idleness not a tree that is not impenetrable, inarticulate. Thick soil below and thick growth above cover up all the bones of the land, which in more delicate countries shows brows and hollows resembling those of a fine face after mental experience. By a very intelligible paradox, it is only in a landscape made up for beauty that beauty is so ill-achieved. Much beauty there must needs be where there are vegetation and the seasons. But even the seasons and park scenery are marred by the little too much, too complete a winter, too emphatic a spring, an ostentatious summer, an autumn too demonstrative. Seek to have less rather than more. It is a counsel of perfection in the imitation of Christ, and here, undoubtedly, is the secret of all that is virile and classic in the art of man, and of all in nature that is most harmonious with that art. Moreover, this is the secret of Italy, how little do the tourists and the poets grasp this latter truth, by the way, and the artists. The legend of Italy is to be gorgeous, and they have her legend by rote. But Italy is slim and all articulate. Her most characteristic trees are those that are distinct and distinguished, with lines that suggest the etching point rather than a brush loaded with paint, cypresses shaped like flames, tall pines with the abrupt flatness of their tops, thin canes in the brakes, sharp aloes by the roadside, and olives with the delicate acuteness of the leaf. These make keen lines of slender vegetation, and they own the seasons by a gentle confession. Rather than be overpowered by the clamorous proclamation of summer in the English woods, we would follow June to the subtler south, even to the Campania, where the cycle of seasons passes within such narrow limitations that insensitive eyes scarcely recognize it. In early spring, there is a fresher touch of green on all the spaces of grass. The distance grows less mellow and more radiant. By the coming of May, the green has been imperceptibly dimmed again. It blushes with the mingled colors of minute and numberless flowers, a dust of flowers, in lines longer than those of ocean billows. This is the desert blossoming like a rose, not the obvious rose of gardens, but the multitudinous and various flower that gathers once in the year in every hand's breadth of the wilderness. When June comes, the sun has burnt all to leagues of harmonious seed, colored with the hint of the color of harvest, 
which is gradually changed to the lighter harmonies of winter. All this fine chromatic scale passes within such modest boundaries that it is accused as a monotony. But those who find its modesty delightful may have a still more delicate pleasure in the blooming and blossoming of the sea. The passing from the winter blue to the summer blue, from the cold color to the color that has in it the fire of the sun, the kindling of the sapphire of the Mediterranean, the significance of the sea seasons, so far from the pasture and the harvest, is imperceptible to ordinary senses, as appears from the fact that so few stay to see it all fulfilled. And if the tourist stayed, he would no doubt violate all that is lovely and moderate by the insistence of his descriptions. He would find adjectives for the blue sea, but probably he would refuse to search for words for the white. A white Mediterranean is not in the legend. Nevertheless, it blooms, now and then, pale as an opal, the white sea is the flower of the breathless midsummer, and in its clear, silent waters, a few days in the culmination of the heat, bring forth translucent living creatures, many-shaped jellyfish colored like mother-of-pearl. But without going so far from the landscape of daily life, it is in agricultural Italy that the little less makes so undesignedly, and as it were so inevitably, for beauty. The country that is formed for use and purpose only is immeasurably the loveliest. What a lesson in literature! How feelingly it persuades us that all except a very little of the ornament of letters and of life makes the dullness of the world. The tenderness of color, the beauty of series and perspective, and the variety of surface produced by the small culture of vegetables are among the charms that come unsought and that are not to be found by seeking are never to be achieved if they are sought for their own sake. And another of the delights of the useful, laborious land is its vitality. The soil may be thin and dry, but man's life is added to its own. He has embanked the hill to make little platforms for the growth of wheat in the light shadows of olive leaves. Thanks to the Metayer land tenure, man's heart, as well as his strength, is given to the ground, with his hope and his honor. Louis Blanc's point of honor of industry is a conscious impulse. It is not too much to say, with most of the Tuscan contadini, but as each effort they make for their master, they make also for the bread of their children. It is no wonder that the land they cultivate has a look of life, but in all color, in all luxury, and in all that gives material for picturesque English. This lovely scenery for food and wine and raiment has that little less to which we desire to recall a rhetorical world. End of section 17. Recording by Valentina Vicelli.